the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You are listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, Colorado's conservative podcast, providing insight and thought-provoking discussions on Colorado's most critical policy issues. Let's join Michael Fields for today's edition. Welcome to the Advanced Colorado Rundown. My name is George Brockler. This is Michael Fields. Michael Fields. And today we are pleased to be joined by another subject matter expert in an area that gets talked about all the time and is of critical importance as we head into the November general election. And that is Pam Anderson. Pam, thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me. I love to talk about elections. Excited. Now, I would prefer to discuss your time on Baywatch, but mm. I think we really have to get into your background. People are going to wonder, why are we listening to Pam Anderson on elections? What do you know and how do you know it? Not yeah, that's the first time I've heard that one, George. Thank you so much. Um, no, I am Pam Anderson, um, and if you want a real chuckle, my maiden name was Beaver, so you know I won the name lottery twice. Uh, so I am Pam Anderson. Um, I have been working in the field of elections for almost twenty years now. Uh, prior to that, I, I worked at the legislature um, on policy. I was elected the clerk and re- or I'm sorry, the municipal clerk for the city of Wheat Ridge. After that, I served two terms as the Jefferson County Clerk and Recorder, and we have term limits in Jeffco, two terms. And uh, so since then, I started my own business. My husband and I are also business owners in manufacturing and go around the country and work with local, state, and federal uh, jurisdiction on elections and how folks can improve them, uh, leadership, uh, policy around access to the ballot and security for elections. How many years do you think total outside of the manufacturing stuff you've done with your husband, you've been in the election game, both municipal, county, state? Yeah, we're coming up on uh, 20 years next year. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, and just so that I know, too, because everybody always asks, uh, where did you grow up? Where was high school? Yeah, I was imported from college with uh, by my husband to Colorado. He's fourth generation, um, raised a couple of fifth generation kids. But I grew up in the shadow uh, of where the Reagan Library sits now. Oh, cool. Uh, Ventura County, Col- uh, California, rather. Um, my dad retired law enforcement. Both my sisters and their husbands are there. He said, I'm his only obedient child. I did not go into <laughs> law enforcement. Um, but... Uh, but public service is, is a strong value in my family. Uh, Jay and I met at California Lutheran University, um, and he grew up here. And uh, in Jefferson County, went to, and, and George, you're going to appreciate this, Bear Creek. Boom, what? Yes. Class of 86. And, Hold on. Uh, is he tall? He is tall. I know, you, Devis, Devis I know your husband. I can't, I mean, I don't know your husband like we went out and used to <laughs> hang out or something after sports, but I now know the name for whatever reason, Pam, it's just ringing a bell now. Tall guy, two years ahead of me in high school. And yeah, it was, uh, I had to retake senior year twice. A uh, wrestler and football and baseball. I don't know if that helps at all, but. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So, I think you get grandfathered in. 
Yeah. Um, our kids went to Wheat Ridge, go farmers. Um, That's and- hard to root for that, that, isn't it? Like go farmers, <laughs> like pitchfork them or something like that. Or Everywhere I go around the country, I run into a farmer. Let me tell you, I graduated from Wheat Ridge. It's the most bizarre thing. But What do you guys say? Like you reap what you sow or <laughs> sort of... There's like a fierce version of, of the Grant Wood painting. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyhow, so uh, yeah, I, I, I love I love Colorado. Been here about 30 years. Uh, raised our kids here, and um, and it's been a real pleasure to represent Jeffco. And um, I happen to be a candidate for for Secretary of State right now um, uh, to sort of you know extend my professional path. Which state? Colorado. Oh, okay. That's helpful because you're here. Michael had a very easy yes or no question he wanted to lead with, or maybe it was something. <laughs> Michael? No, I actually, I want to ask something first, given that you guys were talking about Jeffco and your experience in Jeffco. You know, Jeffco is one of the places that has the highest voter turnout every year in the state. They also have more, uh, you know, forums and debates and everything else going on in Jeffco. I guess you being there for so long, why do you think that's the case that Jeffco is so engaged uh, compared to other parts of the state? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, has the highest proportion of active registered voters. Um, pretty fixed population. I think I think that's helpful. Um, don't have it quite as much mobility as we have in, in some other counties, but always been pretty politically diverse. Um, it's you know suburbs up into the mountain precincts, and um, and when I represented it, it was a third, a third, a third Republican, Democrat, unaffiliated. We were the, the swing county in the swing state for presidential elections, um, which created a pretty high pressure environment. We did a lot of recounts, a lot of close races, a lot of competitive races um, in elections administration. And it was a wonderful place to learn my craft as well as um, to really nail down all of those things that we should be focusing on to make sure that our elections are um, fair, accurate, Mm -hmm. and, and independently verifiable. Yeah. And I think one thing that's lacking as we have this discussion is just education on the issue of elections, how the process works, et cetera. So as George mentioned, my yes or no question uh, is, is much broader than that on how do you know if you st- from start to finish, how does the election process work? And, and I hope that, you know, you explaining kind of, how, you know, all the way from the beginning to the end of this would help give people confidence in our system and see where we can make improvements too. But I think a lot of times we're just jumping into these, uh, you know, specific parts of the process and complaining about them or this, you know, doesn't make sense. But can you give us that broader picture of, of what elections look like in Colorado? Yeah, well, that's why I appreciate this, this opportunity. It's hard to put elections administration, elections management in a soundbite. And so understanding the process, I would first say, you know, all we have a system of federalism, local elections all across our country. Um, your elections are conducted by your county clerk or municipal clerk in certain instances, special districts. Um, in other states, it may be just the municipal clerk. And really, the only race that crosses county lines is the, the race for the presidency of the United States. And so um, we really have developed a system in Colorado for our voters um, that followed the voters, we evolved to the process that we have. And so uh, to begin with, uh, every eligible voter um, has to register to vote. And to do that, we make it very easy here in Colorado. Um, we, you can fill out a form, you can go online and register to vote. Uh, uh, you, If you register uh, or get a driver's license, um, with, uh, which is a real ID establishing your citizenship, you get automatically registered to vote and you would receive a notice and um, be able to decline that. 
that registration uh, information, when it comes to your county clerk, they do a validation process. They, if you have a driver's license, we validate that against the, the database. If you, and, and 99.7% of the people use driver's license. Um, it could be your last four digits of your social security number, and that also gets validated. And so uh, you're affirming that you're a citizen. You've been a resident of Colorado for 22 days. And, and that registers you to vote once it's completed. Um, there's a confirmation card to ensure that that person is um, adequately registered. And, and if it comes back undeliverable, we, we don't reg- complete that registration. Um, that has developed over time. Uh, voter lists are really important to our process to maintain the most efficient and accurate voter list that we can. But it has been a challenge uh, over the years because, uh, as you can imagine, humans move a lot. And so uh, our voter registration lists are a little bit like standing in a river. You know, as people move in and out, we're um, using different databases to update that. Um, As a county clerk, I worked with Secretary of State Scott Gessler on a project. I was the local government representative for Colorado, um, where states can do list, um, cross-state list matching. So if someone moves to a, a a state that participates in this program, it's called ERIC. Um, we can, uh, we bump our data up against each other and, and we can automatically update and, and, and exchange information with those states. Um, for example, Texas, we have a lot of people that move between Colorado and Texas. Um, we also use databases like the National Change of Address database. We use the, we uh, compare um, vital records where there, when there's deaths, um, and trying to keep that up to date. But I think there's always room for improvement and audits on voter lists are incredibly important to make sure that one, that it's, um, it's as efficient as possible for taxpayers. Um, it provides an, um, confidence for voters that they're as accurate as they can be. And I can tell you when I first got into this work 20 years ago, um, mail ballots been popular in Colorado for a very long time. When in Jefferson County, when I became clerk and recorder, we already were about 65% permanent mail. Um, and uh, by the time we went to automatically mailing a ballot to active voters, we, uh, we were at 81% in Jefferson County, 75% statewide. Very popular, but we want it to be as efficient as possible so voters can have confidence in that. Um, So once you're registered in Colorado, uh, voters that are what we call active voters on the the list have um, the ability to receive their mail ballot automatically. And voters that that we've received information, they no longer live there. They're in an inactive status. They don't automatically get a ballot but they're still on the rolls. When you come in, uh, you get your mail ballot, you have a choice. You can take your time, vote that mail ballot. We have really long ballots in Colorado. Um, Vote that ballot in the comfort of your own home, have all your research available, or you can choose an in-person option because in Colorado, we're not just a mail ballot state, we're a hybrid state. Vote centers are essentially one-stop shop for registration, voting, updating your address, getting replacement ballots, dropping off your ballot. Accessible voting for voters with certain disabilities have an opportunity to vote on what's called a ballot marking device. Um, And that type of hybrid experience has been incredibly popular with voters. About 95% 
of voters choose to vote their mail ballot when given the choice, but that in-person option should always be preserved. Do you, I'm going to jump in right there. Do you, you know, as like somebody who's been a candidate, somebody who's, uh, you know, overseen elections in, in Jefferson County, um, what do you think of that whole kind of, it's a, you know, it's not election day, it's a three-week window of election time, uh, you know, and obviously more states are moving in that direction, uh, you know, post-COVID, et cetera. But I guess, what do you think about that process of, you know, different things can happen during that time where people choose to do different things, uh, you know, when to vote, et cetera. Uh, do you like the fact that there's that much time available? We do have a long ballot, as you mentioned, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, as an administrator, as a manager of elections, I like it um, because from the perspective that the choice resides, I'm a, I'm a freedom person, the choice res- resides at the voter and, and the access for a constitutional right couldn't be more open and convenient which I think is incredibly important. I've also been a candidate a few times, and I know from a candidate perspective, a longer voting period can be challenging and more expensive for candidates and campaigns. Um, And it changes the game on get out the vote. Um, So I think that, you know, depending on where you sit, um, it it, it is different. But we have to also remember um, different parts of the country have different voting cultures. So, for example, in Colorado, before a mail ballot started becoming very popular, um, and that was a result of, frankly, of, of Tabor um, in 1992 that said, hey, in these low turnout taxing elections, we want people, more people to see a ballot with this stuff on it. And so we started doing optional mail ballot elections in 1993. But before that, early voting was very popular. Two weeks before Election Day, you know, you started seeing people shifting to, to that even more than election day. In the South, early voting is incredibly popular. Um, So uh, I think the more options that we provide for voters, for example, we provide online access for disabilities now. We have um, ballot uh, transmission, in other words, sending a ballot to overseas military because they have timing issues. Those types of options are really important. The key that we must remember, no matter what the vote method, vote mode, is, is, are the securities in place around all of those options to ensure that it's accurate? Okay, so once uh, you know people decide to, to return their mail ballot or vote in person, then what happens kind of on the back end of things once the, the clerk receives that? Yeah, well, um, as we started seeing an increase in interest in uh, absentee or mail ballots, I had some of the same questions voters had when I became clerk and recorder. Where we place our security is on the return and on validating that the ballot that the voter is voting is actually voted by the voter that's eligible to vote it. So, for example, our security for mail ballots are um, is uh, signature verification. You sign an affidavit saying this: you are who you are. And we have a process of election judges, bipartisan election judges appointed by the parties that take um, pretty significant signature verification training that that we developed here in Colorado by the Colorado Bureau of Investigations and did robust training. Um, Given all of that, I still wasn't sure, does it work? Uh, And so as a local election official, I developed my my family's manufacturing background, a quality assurance audit of the signature process. So we're sampling through the election to say, do the judges do a good job? Do we need to look at the training? Is there any nefarious activity? Do they get tired over time? The average age of our our election judges is about 72. 
and so we want <laughs> see your face, George. We want to make sure that that process is working well in every election. This is where uh, it gave me confidence that that voter validation works. I have a question for you, and that is we've seen legislation this last cycle that really impacted the Secretary of State's office. It had an impact on clerks and recorders. What happened and what's the good and the bad of that? Yeah, early on in the session, uh, it was Senate Bill 153. I think that's the bill that you're referring to. Probably. Um, okay. And um, this was legislation brought by uh, Jenna Griswold, the current secretary. And frankly, on introduction, it was a horrible bill. Um, it had a whole bunch of things around security and insider threats, which I think arguably are very good things. Uh But it was also lumping in a lot of conversations around the First Amendment and mis- and disinformation around um, uh, individuals or groups uh, misleading voters on how elections work or whether or not outcomes and election results were true and accurate. And that's where I had the problem um, because I felt that it was unconstitutional. Um, You know, God bless America. We have free speech in this in this country. Um, And so that bill was significantly amended um, by the time it it got to the final process. And the county clerks on the security side really appreciated some of the security protocols that that we uh, that we now have in place because of it. But some of the most egregious um, components of that bill were amended. Can I ask too, I know we've got a couple minutes left here, but just some of the, it's almost like a Mythbusters thing. But when you were talking about the process um, that you described, and I'd like you to do it all over again, <laughs> I'm kidding. I, uh, I heard you say that, look, we have this automatic voter registration thing that takes place when you go to, I have heard some people say, well, hey, listen, we issue these driver's licenses to undocumented people or illegal aliens or whatever the term of art these days is. Uh, it's it's impossible for us to not register them to vote, and therefore they're getting ballots and they're voting and they're and they're playing around in our elections. True? Uh, false. And let me what? tell you why. Automatic voter registration. One of the things I like about it is um, federal law was passed that driver's licenses are now secure and verifiable IDs. So you have to pre- present uh, proof of citizenship in order to get a citizen driver's license. But you're right, the Democratic legislature passed legislation that also issues driver's licenses to uh, non-citizens. And when that bill passed, um, I uh, worked with the legislature and said, whoa, 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 wait, about, what about voting? Because when you vote in person, you present ID and 99.4% of the people that present an ID present a driver's license. So. Um, What you may not know is on a physical driver's license, there's a big black bar across it that says cannot be used for purposes of voting. And that was put in place because the clerks made that very important. The other piece is uh, for validation, that validation process I mentioned for registration, there are unique identifying numbers for those types of driver's license that are different for citizens, driver's license data. And we in, in it would reject a registration with any of those numbers. Pam, I, I have a question about uh, ballot harvesting and thinking about the fact that in Colorado, I believe you can have 10 ballots that you can return at any given time. So I was, you know, I've been thinking about this and thinking, you know, I want to be able to drop my wife's ballot off if we both vote and she signed it and did it. Um, and not have a problem with that. But I guess, what are your thoughts on that 10 number on, you know, if it should be allowed at all? 
And given, you know, you talked a lot about the signature verification and kind of the back end of it uh, that would prevent, you know, any kind of fraud uh, from happening. But I guess what are your thoughts on on that ballot harvesting question? Yeah, uh, so it used to be five, but any individual could um, could deposit five ballots in a drop box or at a clerk's office or in a polling location. Um, uh, that was passed by the Republicans because it's considered get out the vote. Uh, and then the Democrats increased that to 10. And I actually, um, that was, I think, in 2011, I, I testified to that legislation because I said, one, you need to know that the security isn't in the ballot delivery, because remember, we have poll, blue U.S. Postal Service boxes, too, that don't have cameras on them and the same type of security we have. So we focused on the security around the validation of the ballot itself, as I described earlier. However, I would support and every county I know says, don't give your ballot to someone you don't know, because it it we have more concerns that your ballot would never get to us if Interest groups targeted particularly target rich environments, you know, for one party or the other Um, that that we would start getting calls from voters saying, hey, you never got my ballot. What happened? Um, We've resolved that to some degree because we do ballot tracking. You as a voter can get messages to tell you where your ballot is. But I would support that it's a family or household member. um, To do that type of collection. I'm not sure the legislature would go there. Either, either party because it is get out the vote. And so I also think that we could regulate that process like we do with voter registration drives, where if you're going to do that activity, we need to have some transparency around it. We need to know who you are, where you're working, who you've collected from. And, and when we did that with voter, voter registration drives, groups like ACORN left the state. So the nefarious actors tend to avoid that type of scrutiny and transparency um, and the, the, the good actors, the candidates and the parties and um, that, that act in good faith tend to utilize that for the purposes it's, it was legislated for. Well, you went there, Pam, and you brought up a suggestion on how to improve the system. I want to ask you for one more before we let you go. As you look at this system, and it sounds like you're a big proponent, you support it, you like the checks and balances, but if you were going to be in charge and make a tweak here or a big fix there, what would it be? Yeah, well, since automatic voter registration was passed in 2018, uh, we, the, the, I was executive director. The county clerks didn't support that bill, not because automatic voter registration with a driver's license can't be efficiently done, but that we take our time and pilot this and work out the bugs. And there are plenty of bugs regarding clean voter list with that system. All those issues have been sent to Jenna Griswold and the Secretary of State's office, and nothing's been done about it. So I would institute some audits around our voter list, find out where those issues that need to be cleaned up around the margins, as well as, you know, expanding audits like we've discussed, that signature verification audit that I developed is a best practice. Lots of counties use it, but it's not codified and it's not required. These are the types of things that I can bring as a professional. Um, There's no competent election official that's in it for the right reasons that that says we have perfect elections and there's never a way to improve it. Um, And I have initiatives that would, would, you know, go right to those points. Pam, I can't thank you enough for this. Uh, We'll have another future segment on how to corrupt the election system. And probably when I'm on the ballot again, if you're willing to come back and do that. (laughs) I don't think so. 
<laughs> I take the, I take I take this little oath thing, George. Yeah, well, I'm glad you take it and you take it seriously, which is awesome. Uh Pam Anderson, thank you so much. Uh again, for me it's George Brockler. That guy over there is Michael Field. And this has been Advanced Colorado. Fairly certain it's still Roundup. Uh we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Advanced Colorado Rundown, brought to you by Advanced Colorado, the conservative thought leader, driving dialogue and solutions to Colorado's most critical policy issues. Find them at advancecolorado.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.